Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Thunderdome Gaming Society, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Raging Demon, JC, Megan Caruso, Masked Keaton, Andrew Laguori, Retro Overdrive, Ozzy Garcia, The Retro Vixen, Adam from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, Keith Gasper, and Diskimera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to the latest episode of Retro Hangover. Classic gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are flagrantly following followings, favoring flavor, finding fascinating fragrances. This is Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with our special guest, William Cage of Squire Games. And, as always, your host, Shane. Fragrant Dick Squire Dragon Koski! Oh, there he is. He's back. Okay. Oh, yeah. So beautiful. You know, out of all of the Dick Dragon monikers that we've had thus far, I have to say the fragrant Dick Squire is is pretty good. It's pretty good. It is the the, the most fragrant of Dick's dragons. Dick dragons. I'm going to take fragrant over the other possibilities like pungent, for example. I feel like maybe that's (laughs) not the best in this particular scenario. You never know. Some people might be into that. I don't kink shame. That's true. That's true. No, no shade. We are very, very happy to have a William Cage on here with us today. And hey, it is a pleasure having you here. How are you doing today, Will? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Uh, I was trying not to bust up while you guys were talking. I've, it's <laughs> that was that was a beautiful performance. That's always <laughs> appreciated. I'm one of those. Uh, I, I've heard in some of the recent episodes, you guys talking like uh, the back and forth between leaving that in, taking it out, and. Uh, the audience response. I'm one of the mm. uh, keep it. I'm in the keep it crowd. I'm a fan. Fantastic. We love it. It's always like a 50 50 when we have a new guest on when Chris does that and they realize this whole behind the scenes thing of like he just disappears for like 10 seconds. It's 50 50 about whether they're going to be really concerned. They're like, is he is he still there? Did he disconnect? That's how you can tell who listens to the show and who doesn't. Ah, oh, is that that's the litmus test? That's what we're going with exactly okay (laughs) yeah it cut out differently than i expected it to but i knew what was going on (laughs) exactly so we are here today we're we're going to interview william because i don't why i say william it feels terrible we're going to interview will i'm just (laughs) you say it so matter of factly too it's like we're we're here to interrogate (laughs) william today well you can call me susan if it makes you happy (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I could, but I don't know if that would really flow with the episode. Well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. No, I won't. I won't call him Shirley. <laughs> I won't call him Shirley. <laughs> but we are here to talk with Will today about being a game developer. 
uh, with first Squire games and a bunch of the games he's come out in, in his history. Allegedly. Allegedly. That's the rumor. <laughs> I fooled you all. Oh, oh, snap. Well, we'll find out more about that soon. But before we do, mm. we are going to be talking about what games we've been playing lately. And as we are wont to do, we are going to start out with our guest, Will. So, Will, what have you been up to lately in terms of video games if you've had time to play games at all? Very little. <laughs> For the past six months, I've hardly gamed at all. Um, there's just been so much work to do. I did fire up the old 3DS. I kind of have to since I'm working in there these days. And weirdly, what I played the most was um, Symphony of the Night. So you got to you gotta crack mm-hmm. it. You got to jailbreak it to do that. Um, but it runs really well on custom firmware on the newer, the new version of 3DS consoles. Um, they can mm-hmm. run PS1 games pretty well. So Symphony of the Night for a few minutes uh, when I need a breather. <laughs> That's about it. Nice. So, you know, you'll play it through the the first half and then stop playing it at the natural conclusion of that game and not bother with the upside down castle right that's how that goes ouch (laughs) (laughs) i'm barely even i'm not even close to getting that far with uh, how little i've been uh little time i've been putting into it but yeah stopping after the first half i don't know man yeah it is pretty bad the upside down castle is pretty bad See, thank you. I always like to insert that hot take wherever I can, mostly because I know that it's going to irritate like at least one real huge like Symphony of the Night fanboy out there. And I derive some measure of pleasure from that. Not that I dislike the game because I don't. I do like it. I just think it overstays its welcome. You know? Yeah, the hesitation comes from um, Kid Me really liked it because what did I know? Uh, It's more (laughs) of the game and I wanted to keep playing. So it was fine back there, but when I'm a little, little more, uh, you know, real about it mm. or by modern standards or both, um, it just, it doesn't hold up. It's not great. I feel vindicated now. The bosses make it worth it though. Some of the bosses in the second half are great. Oh yeah. Okay. That's a good point. The bosses are pretty cool. Especially the one with all the bodies that just fall down. Yeah. Doesn't that have a unique track too? Like they don't use that music track for anything, but maybe that and a couple others. I can't remember that far back. And I just played it like less than a year ago. That makes me a terrible Symphony of the Night fan, especially with an email handle with Alucard in it. <laughs> I know. Fucking fraud. It's like this uh, operatic, terrifying choral arrangement, something. That's what I'm playing in my head. Mm. I now I got to go back and check that out. My internet cut out. Did you say you were playing Symphony of the Night on the 3DS? Yeah, that's right. How are you, how are you doing that? Uh, so Illegally. Custom firmware uh, on the newer <laughs> systems, um, it can run. I haven't tried N64, but I know it can do PS1 um, smoothly. Uh, but the older 3DS CPU um, can't really do it. But yeah, if you do custom firmware, you can load um, you know, all kinds of ROMs and stuff on there. We may have to cut all this out just for legal reasons, but I am intrigued. <laughs> I need to do this. And I know we have listeners that would love to do it, too. Just get a cease and desist from Nintendo. Hey, I own I own like four <laughs> copies of Symphony of the Night, so I think I'm all right. I think you should be, too. Oh, shit. Well, he owns enough copies for all of us to pirate it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Will. <laughs> That's He's how pirating it, it for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Shane, how about you? What you've been up to? Ah, shit. You know, I probably should have been better prepared for this question, considering we talk about it every episode. And yet I am still not because <laughs> I am nothing if not a professional. The hell have I been playing lately? All right. So let's see. What was I posting in our discord recently? So I finally wrapped up Dungeon Siege Throne of Agony for the PSP emulated beautifully on my Steam Deck. 
I might add. And uh, you know what? I'm going to be honest. Uh, that game surprised me. It's uh, It's got that Dungeon Siege jank. And if you played the first game, you kind of know what I'm talking about. It also, it's got the same kind of charm to it. And frankly, it actually grabbed me a lot more than I thought it would. I enjoyed my time with it. I'm going to, I'm going to put out a rapid fire review on that soonish. Suffice to say it was a good time. And let's see, outside of that, I've been playing a little bit of Xevious for our monthly high score challenge, the time of this recording in July. And that game is, it's a game. It's foundational, Shane. It's very important. It, so you know what? Yes, I, I don't disagree with you on that point. Uh, however, there there's some like fundamental mechanics in that game that I highly disagree with. But the competition for it should be interesting at any rate. I'm going to give it a few more shots. But yeah, that's uh, I think that's honestly most of it. I played the crap out of uh, Shredder's Revenge. Uh, you and I couch co-opted it recently. We did. And then I... Uh, Continued to play through some of it some more. I did the the one credit clear an arcade mode. So I got that achievement. And uh, it's I've doubled down on the fact that April is probably my favorite character, closely followed by um, shit. Casey. She, well, she does have the thickness. Yeah, well, she does. That's You'd true. probably forget everything else but that thickness. <laughs> That's true. My mind just goes blank when I think about it. But, but yeah, probably close runner up would be Casey Jones, I think. So at any rate, that's been a lot of fun. I'm hoping that, you know, some stuff gets built out on that. But some articles I saw recently said maybe not. So DLC might not have been in their plans, which is kind of a big bummer. But I guess we'll see if maybe that changes with some sales figures. Outside of that, I think the only other thing is I'm still plinking away at some Guild Wars 2. I rolled up a new character a little while back, and so I've been playing a Necromancer. It's been like 10 years since I've played GW2. so been enjoying getting back into that i forgot how good that game is uh, as an mmo but yeah that's pretty much me man so uh chris what about what about you what have you been plinking away at i've been playing some games for this podcast which will probably be our our next mainline episode so mm. i don't want to get too much into that because uh it is related to a game that shane just talked about and i want to throw this game at, a, at the wall repeatedly <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to that yeah yeah. Other than that, uh, I played Gris. I, I made it through the game Gris, which how do I put this? Like, it's a game that I really want to like, and I probably should like. I just don't know if I really like it or not. It's it's a it's an artsy game, mm -hmm. like very very artistic, and you're like, yeah, everything here is just it's jiving. But what? I, th I think that's my general feeling there. I'm going to try and get a rapid fire review out for that as well. And, you know, in honor of our guest here, I've been playing a six engine, which is a part of Squire games on their website. And I've been really entertained by it so far. I haven't been able to make it all the way through yet. It's, a, it's still in chapter one, I believe. If you're a fan of Final Fantasy six, you got to go over to their website and check it out because it's super interesting. I, I, I had a smile from ear to ear as soon as it booted up. And if you're a fan of of that game, you will as well. And uh, you'll understand why as soon as you fire it up. It's enthralling. And I just I'm not sucking your dick well just because you're on this episode. But I will say just because I am a fan of Final Fantasy VI, it made me extraordinarily happy to see something like that. We're all being totally honest here. That's the policy. <laughs> I try to be. That actually reminds me. I don't know why I didn't mention that, but uh, I, I'm also I've been playing some Fragrance Story, too. I was trying to knock out some of the challenges. 
two days ago, I think. So also been enjoying getting through that. Uh, well, what little there is of it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, I was actually, I, at first I was surprised by how short it was, but then I was surprised at how there was a longer tail at the end with like the additional challenges and stuff. I was not expecting that. We're talking about the game, not something else, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on anymore. <laughs> don't need to know basis, Chris. It's fine. Okay. So typically here is where we go into our brief history, but I, I don't think we could have anyone really get into a brief history better than our guests themselves, since they are essentially the topic for this episode. So for our brief history portion, we'd just like to kick this off with you, Will, and give us a brief history of, of Squire Games and yourself as a game developer. Okay, well, the really, really brief version is first I made some music and then I made some games. And here we are. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> the slightly longer version is, I mean, I grew up on Super Nintendo. I always wanted to make music in the style of like Final Fantasy, Chrono Trigger, stuff like that. So ways back, about 10 years ago, I started just trying to make music like that. So I had like an old version of Fruity Loops and some sound files, sound fonts and wave files from the Super Nintendo from those games. And, you know, I would try to write a melody like Chrono Trigger using the instruments from Chrono Trigger. Hmm. And so I just did that for a while and uh, ended up with a few songs. thought, hey, why don't I try and make an album? Maybe put some of this online. But I quickly figured out that that wasn't enough. Like I was hungry to do more in the Super Nintendo style. So um, it was only about a year later, like 2013, that I started making Six Engine, which is what you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. It's like a Super Nintendo-style game engine that I made from scratch. To Originally, it was to kind of showcase the music I was writing in context. Um, because prior to that, if I wanted to write authentic Super Nintendo music and kind of show it in Super Nintendo context, you would have to get like a, a ROM or a flashcard or something and like hack it into a Super Nintendo game, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not very user-friendly. Um, so if I wanted to share my music and kind of present it in a Super Nintendo context, then I'm a developer, like, by day. That's my thing. So I was like, maybe I'll just cook up a little game engine that can I can put some of my music to. Well, that kind of went spiraling out of control. And I kept <laughs> wanting to make more and more <laughs> stuff. So all of this music and game engine stuff was nights and weekends for a, a lot of the last... 10 years. It wasn't until last year that I flipped the switch to full-time. So it's maybe a few years worth of albums that I've written or game content that I've cooked up, but it's like stretched out over a decade because it had to be part-time, you know? Mm. Last year was the, the big change. I had enough going with Nintendo kind of behind the scenes and some donors and patrons chipping in that I was able to kind of uh, switch over and pursue this full time. But the tricky part is last year, right when I started pursuing, like making not just some web engine hobby thing, but a real Nintendo game with Nintendo, they were winding down 
their consoles that I had access to. <laughs> so we can get more into that later. But this is where I am now. I'm kind of I'm working through the, the limbo state of finally getting published with Nintendo, but being stuck on their outgoing consoles. <laughs> so yeah, music and then games and then more games. And here we are. That's actually really interesting for, for some of these questions I have coming up. That provides quite a backdrop. I'm interested in seeing what those answers will be, but we'll start out with some easy ones for you as we get into the chat here and just kind of more of the interview. So that's that's the history of developer. Let's let's jump to the history of you. When did you start playing games? It sounds like SNES was really foundational, but was that really where you started playing video games? So I grew up in Seattle, but I was actually, um, because of my parents, there was some project in, uh, in another country, and we, we lived in Hawaii for like a year and a half or something. Uh, and so I played my first games in Hawaii on an NES, and I didn't, you know, I didn't take to it in the same way that the Super Nintendo hit me. They're just, they're not great games and i've I, I think i've heard enough of you guys' podcast episodes that i'm not alone to an extent like nintendo hard right like there's just mm -hmm. it's not as much fun mm -hmm. but yeah so i i did play nes uh was my first but i just it didn't it didn't stick with me like super nintendo i can hear that yeah no, i i'm i'm glad that i can hear somebody else saying that because that's the way that i felt about it for a long time like even though i definitely had an nes i mean granted i started with them Master System, which is a whole different ball of wax, <clears throat> but yeah, it wasn't until the Super Nintendo that I was just like, oh, okay, like I, I get it now. Um, so I suppose on that note, then it sounds like I might know the answer to this question, but I'm, I'm curious anyway. If you had to pick favorite game and console of all time, what would those two things be? Oh boy, yeah. So there's there's different definitions for like what your best game would be is. Like Desert Island, you have to play that and nothing else? Or is it the thing that stuck with you the most? I would say for the context of this question, let's say the thing that really stuck with you the most. Yeah, so I had a feeling that's what you were going for. And I'm not sure this is the best answer, but Final Fantasy VI is like, it's it's begging me to pick <laughs> pick me, right? <laughs> it's a pretty good answer. It's like, it's between that and Chrono Trigger because Chrono Trigger aged better. I think mm -hmm. it's more accessible, you know? And so to modern me, I just feel better picking up Chrono Trigger. Sure. But yeah, Final Fantasy VI had, had probably the biggest impact on me. Uh, and, and it's Super Nintendo, of course. Okay. It's just I figured that, that might have been the case. Yeah. That, that, that system is like the perfect, it's like the sweet spot, the tipping point, as you're trying to get more graphics capability, but you still have to use your imagination quite a bit. So you get those kind of super deformed chibi characters, um, but you can tell when they're upset, happy, sad, angry. And in the music, you can tell if it's supposed to be a flute or a violin or something. So it's like you have just enough that you can tell what's going on and let your imagination do the rest. Whereas, um, what is it, third generation, right? The NES stuff, uh, it wasn't quite, you couldn't tell a flute from a violin. <laughs> right. Unless you, I don't think any of the expanded boards really did that. I think most of the sampling was just for different drums but yeah it was it was very limited so yeah that's the sweet spot super nintendo i actually have to 100 percent agree with your assessment between final fantasy 6 and chrono trigger with chrono trigger aging better and i can understand what you mean by final fantasy 6 landing 
more emotionally and more attached to you. I, I can relate with that 100%. I tend to lean more towards Chrono Trigger now than Final Fantasy VI, but I, yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. Now, when you were talking about using your game development skills, using you know games to kind of showcase your music, when was the exact moment you decided to get into game development? Was it just because of your music, or did you have an inkling that this is something you wanted to get into beforehand? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I I always wanted to make games for as long as I wanted to make music, but I just sort of, you know, at least for, for music, I can just pick up a copy of Fruity Loops or hit. I don't really play piano, but I could go up to a piano and kind of plunk out some some stuff. It's easier to dive into. I will say I, over the years, I would make little game engines in various languages for fun, but I wouldn't really, it just, it felt too far away. Um, at least with music, you can just kind of, by 2012, when I got started, um, self-publishing was a thing for music, mm-hmm. right? There's Bandcamp and stuff. So it was already much more accessible than maybe game, like proper game publishing was. So yeah, music just felt more accessible, but the, the desire was always there for both. Uh, and I had been tinkering my whole life. Um, but career-wise, it's more of like straight up web development or, or full stack working for some garbage company. I won't name names, but <laughs> I've worked for a bunch of stupid desk desk job gigs that I don't like. I'm so glad to be working on games now. <laughs> oh, I hate it. I hate the politics. I, ugh. Ugh. But yeah, it was like web dev stuff. It was a natural fit to, if I'm going to tinker with games and maybe try and put a little something out there, a short game thing for my music, then putting it on a, on a web page was an easy place to start. And it kind of kept my skills sharp, you know, uh, so it's not a total waste. Mm-hmm. I find that interesting actually, because I feel like in some ways your experience somewhat parallels uh, some of mine, because I, as you know, we had the sort of offline discussion that, you know, I, I also went to school for computer science and been in, in, in the industry for a while now. I think the difference though with, with mine is that, you managed to actually continue pursuing the, the the more enjoyable game dev aspects of that and kind of made something of it where I ended up hitting a job who I will not name the employer and was stuck in middleware for a long time and learned to hate everything about software development. And that kind of killed a lot of my motivation to do it recreationally. So yeah, a little bit different, but some some similarities that I can see there for sure. Now, one thing that I know that I, I think I see a similarity there is that I too used to tinker a lot with just building out, you know, little games in, in various different languages, kind of as I was growing up, learning different coding languages and things like that. I still maintain, and nobody agrees with me, but I still maintain that Visual Basic 6 was fantastic because it was such a you know, straightforward, like you could throw UI together real quickly and then hook up all the pieces in the back end. I actually made a sort of wizardry style first person RPG in VB6 once. So that was fun. But at any rate, on that note, what was the what was the first game that really comes to mind for you that you really put like a lot of effort into? Was it Six Engine or was there something that you had tinkered with before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was Six Engine. Scenario 1, which is like a made-up prequel story about Locke and Rachel. Mm-hmm. Rachel, who has maybe one line. No, she has a, she has a few lines, but she is yeah, very, she's very limited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's very little about uh, the kind of person she is. 
just sort of a romantic interest. Uh, that's her, that's the main descriptor, right? Right. But that was my first big push to to make something and like finish something. Um, so it wasn't just. It started out with making different modules. I'll, I'll make a menu system that looks and feels like Final Fantasy VI, or I'll make a an event system that can kind of play out dialogue like Final Fantasy VI. But that scenario with Locke and Rachel was the first, you know, my first little game baby <laughs> that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. So it was really, it was really fun, and it was so satisfying to to button that up. I will note that it is not public, and it will not be public. <laughs> It has a, a simple lock on it. People can ask me for access if they want to play. But that's out of respect for Square and Nintendo. You know, they really don't like people making fan games and distributing widely. Sure. I've heard. So it's kind of a nice middle ground to, it's like, this is not public. It will not be public. Uh, friends and family and people who email me can, can play if they want to. I wanted to come back to something uh, you said, Shane, a minute ago before we get too far from it. Hmm. With, with some of our overlap of like... Uh, computer science sadness. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's a reason that I said I'm not really a developer or something to that effect in the beginning. <laughs> it's because um, there's a lot of that. Uh, I, I've come to understand that it's common now, but I didn't know this maybe 10 years ago. Um, it's common with developers to kind of feel that imposter syndrome sensation. Oh, sure. That I'm not really, what am I doing? I have to Google everything. How do I do a, a for loop? How do I add <laughs> two numbers together in this language? I should know this. They they can't know that I don't know <laughs> how to add these numbers together. Uh, I'll be ruined. But no, it's it's really common. But I'm just I'm still kind of trying to be more kind to myself about that stuff. Um, so it's early in the letting go of that phase for me. So I I, <laughs> I still like to joke about. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, I'm making games. Is that me? I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I totally understand that. Now, it took me quite a while to just, I guess, come to terms with that. I'm just like, listen, like 90% of the reason that I have a second monitor is so that I just have stack exchange open pretty much at all times. And <laughs> yeah. that's it. And it's it's this weird, like, it's less so now. I think you're right. But it was this very strange sort of like unspoken general understanding i think among a lot of software developers of like yeah this is totally what we do but then anytime you would talk to anybody who wasn't a dev especially like management or like in an interview heaven forbid oh no it's like okay whiteboard out all of this pseudo code right now and it's like dude i'm never gonna do this like if you actually hire me like this is not yeah. how people work <laughs> yeah so now i totally get it i like that you know if i'm not desperate for to get a job I kind of like the idea of them outing themselves as that type of a, you know, we're looking for, for that, just write, write out, uh, <laughs> easy from, way to from memory, <laughs> a bunch of uh, vocabulary on a whiteboard right. that you haven't needed for 10 years. I'm not going to. So I like that because I can be like, no, just <laughs> no, I'm not the person you want. Cause I can't do that <laughs> for sure. So I'm curious, like, for, so from six engine, what were some of like the, the best lessons that you kind of took away from that experience? Ah, well, the beginning, middle and end to a project is important because uh, hmm. you, you tinker with things and you have a little module or a little engine, a little proof of concept. Um, and it can be pretty cool. Um, maybe it's even a proper game, but it's just a really short one. 
Um, so like if I made a proof of concept of six engine that just had a single screen with Locke and Rachel, and you can like get into a battle. And then after you defeat the enemies, then the story's over. You can start really small scale, but as you scale it up, you learn quickly about some of the, the other components of game development, like balance over time. Mm-hmm. The longer your game is, the harder it is to balance character growth or the pacing of story. So all that stuff, it was it was a great learning experience for me to stretch out. This was, what, two, three hours maybe of content. Mm-hmm. I think the t- typical playthrough is a couple hours. Mm-hmm. So it's not super long, but this was the first time I had ever made something with a beginning, middle, and end that's a couple hours long. So it was great. I learned so much about balance and also like playtesting, um, interfacing with an audience. So I had an, an audience of a few hundred people uh, in the beginning before it was released that were willing to test it and give feedback. Uh, and that was great. So it was a first for that for me as well. So yeah, I learned so much from that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going a little bit off script here, but I'm actually just curious. How did you, how did you manage having that many people sort of QAing for you? Like, how did you wrangle all of that feedback? Uh, the short, there's a little more to it than this, but the short answer is they basically came from my music. Ah, okay. So it's, it's weird the shift into game development proper over the last year, because prior to that, it really was mostly just whatever overlap in, in my modest little, little bit of followers of my music that were also interested in this gameplay that I was cooking up. But it was enough, a percent of a percent that, uh, I had a, a really nice, group of people uh, willing to play test for me. Mm-hmm. Nice. So shifting gears a little bit, uh, just going to move more on to what I see is your mission statement for Squire Games. Uh, you openly state on your, your website, or at least uh, what I've seen from you, is your desire to main, remain as someone as a nonprofit developer slash publisher. What, what inspired this decision to, to focus on the nonprofit status? Which piece of this do I want to share? <laughs> There's so much. There's so much. I guess I just, I've seen enough greed up close to be not just turned off by it, by excessive profits and, and chasing after them, but very strongly opposed resisting it and wanting to like uh, take a stand against that kind of thing, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, Totally. Yeah, it, it isn't just that. It isn't just that I'm kind of grossed out by <laughs> by greed. There's a an effect on the products you make. If I want to make something that is profitable, like if I want to make Fragrance Story um, as profitable as possible, then there are some go-to tactics. <laughs> the, kind of the modern go-to maybe is gotcha stuff, gambling stuff, but... Please no. Uh, or, or, or loot crates or whatever. But there are more subtle, old-school techniques, like just stretching out gameplay, um, have some overly long animations, uh, but you like use a focus group and test how long before the player is pissed off. Oh, we can get away with seven <laughs> seconds instead of five, and that's going to extend our play time, and Discord is going to pick up how long you've been playing, and it's 10% longer, and we're going to get a thousand more people in sales. And it's like, ugh, that's just gross. Like, I don't want to talk about honesty. We should all be honest here. Let's just tell some stories and be honest about I struck the enemy and here's what it looks like. And I don't need to drag it out. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of little tentacles of uh, that greed, I guess, that can influence your final product, your game you're making. 
to psychologically manipulate or drag out gameplay. And that's just gross. Like I you probably noticed in, in fragrance story, I tried to make everything really snappy mm-hmm. and maybe to a fault, but that isn't why it's so short. <laughs> that's a different <laughs> story. That's a different reason. Um, but I did try to make it like the menus are quick. Uh, the actions are quick and I'm not looking to waste anyone's time to artificially stretch out my game. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say as from a firsthand account, the, the snappiness of everything was very, uh, very much welcome. It feel it feels good to play. Definitely, and I think yes. that's something that we, we've talked about a number of times on the show when we talk about certain games, it's just like this, I won't say indescribable because we do our best to kind of put it into words, but there's just this certain feel to a game that you know if it's off or you know if it feels right and it's a really hard thing to to kind of strike that balance and speaking of uh fragrance story so this was as you sort of alluded to when you were giving your sort of brief history of squire games as a whole that this was a a pretty late release in the the 3ds life cycle so ultimately like what led to your decision to release an actual physical version of the game was that always going to be like part of the plan was it going to be digital and then that changed or like how did that come to be (laughs) okay i guess i'll start by saying it was a childhood dream to be on a nintendo cartridge fair so it's just like really Mm. cool i wanted to do it um but i didn't know oh boy i did not know how bad it was how hard it would be (laughs) silly me how hard could it be apparently it's a little bit harder with nintendo than with sony for example, mm. which I didn't know. I, there's so much I did not know going into this, but yeah, it originally I didn't, I didn't much care if it was physical or, or digital. And I thought, well, if it's not that much different, let's just see if we can put it on a card as well. It'd be fun. But the bigger issue was I, I needed to get something out with Nintendo because my existing agreement with them from a few years prior, um, I started with Nintendo before COVID. So my agreements were all for the uh, outgoing consoles and they mm-hmm. still kind of restrict who can work on switch and i was totally new to them i didn't have anything public i had six engine but i couldn't really show that showcase that in the same way so i was stuck with 3ds and wii u and so i really just wanted to get something out so that i could continue working with nintendo and kind of use that to uh, request switch access properly so that was the plan and then how it turned into physical was before I understood how bad it was going to be, how many steps were involved, I had already kind of signed up to do this, but I kept running into new deadlines as Japan uh, announced them. Well, they Japan will tell Nintendo of America, and then NOA is really busy, and I'm really late to the party, um, so they can't <laughs> just hold my hand and email me each time one of these deadlines is announced. So I, st- I got in the habit of logging into a million different portals and sites, uh, just checking, like, did Japan announce a new deadline? I don't know, but I'm scared because it's happened four times already and it's December and now suddenly everything's due. So yeah, I was into making physical cards too deep to, to, to turn back uh, by the time I understood how bad it was. And I also, I had to turn in code three months sooner than I expected. Mm. The digital submissions had a, a later deadline. And that's all I, anyone knew about was the that submission deadline, which is like March, or something like that. But yeah, so I was I was gearing up like ah, I'm just gonna make the best of it. I'll crank out some short game. I'll put it on a cart. It'll be fine. 
But then December rolled around and they're like, uh, yeah, we need it like now. We need your game now. Hmm. And you're already on the hook for these carts. So now. <laughs> so wow. that's how I ended up with something kind of short, but I couldn't turn back. I think that's a that's a really great segue into my next question here, especially considering what's what's coming up from this publisher. Uh, what was the biggest decision for you to self-publish as opposed to going to a larger publisher like Limited Run? Because they still have a couple of 3DS games out there. Do you think they could have had any interest or, or was you just kind of too down, too far down the rabbit hole? Uh, well, I'll say this. I, I have so much new respect for Limited Run games and all the stuff they have to do now that I've done all that stuff myself alone. Um, when you scale up production on this stuff, it's like, holy crap, if I had had a team, it would have been way, way easier. If you're going to sell 100 units or ship out 100 units, that's okay. If you're going to sell and ship 1,000 units, that's getting to be really difficult. And if it's several thousand, then it's like, well, this is what I'm doing for the next two months, uh, full-time, more than full-time. Um, so yeah, it would have been great to work with someone who's established, they know what they're doing, and they you know, all likely to have a team to help like more than one person shipping some stuff out, for instance. But the issue, the biggest issue is back to that nonprofit thing. So I'm running really lean. I'm working off of personal funds, some modest donations, and Patreon support. But it's super lean. It's a really tight, tiny budget. And for someone like me to make carts is a huge undertaking. It's really expensive. And some of the printing, manufacturing, some of these steps are, are really expensive. And if I work with another publisher, then there has to be profitability for them somewhere in there. You know? Sure. Mm -hmm. But that screws up the numbers even worse than they already were. They were scary numbers to begin with. But now I got to make room for that. It just, it couldn't work. I would have needed to wait longer and have more capital to start if I wanted to work with someone else. So to make a nonprofit, I, I really had to do it myself. It's possible there's a limited run games similar, like publisher out there that is willing to do nonprofit or do it for free, but I don't know of one. <laughs> So you, you had mentioned this already, um, but I'm, I'm curious. And of course, I'm sure there's some things that you are probably, let's say, not at liberty to elaborate on. But but I am curious. So when you're talking about, you know, the, the physical run of Fragrance Story and them sort of bringing these deadlines to you and saying, like, hey, you're on the hook for these carts. Was there like a minimum print run that you had to make, like? Is that part of the contractual agreement? Like, obviously, uh, neither of us have gone down this rabbit hole of trying to work with something as huge as Nintendo and producing some of a physical copy of a game with them. So I'm just curious, kind of like what some of the, the inside baseball on that is. Yeah. How do, OK, this is part of the fun <laughs> side note. Super Nintendo is great because of the limitations uh, and working creatively around them. That's where you get some of that beautiful, this is a flute, this is a violin, this character is happy or sad, but you still get to use your imagination. Mm. Well, getting, getting, <laughs> getting something beautiful out of limitations feels a lot like the exercise that I'm going to do right now for your question. 
because <laughs> non-disclosure agreements, I, I don't want to blow this with Nintendo. So I try to be really careful. Of course. Yeah. But I can be creatively vague and I can allude to things and it's probably fine. So I'll say that the previous generation is said to have, I haven't even confirmed to this. That's how you know I'm safe. I don't actually know. <laughs> but the previous generation is said to have a higher minimum order than okay. the current generation. So to whatever extent that's true, uh, I would have felt that. But yeah, they do have a lot, they do have requirements. Uh, and Nintendo, like I said, from what I understand, I've only worked with Nintendo. I haven't worked with Sony. But from what I understand, Sony handles a lot of those selections for you, uh, or they do some of the pack out for you. Whereas I had to choose, you know, I'm going to work through this channel or I'm going to do this many units. And they do have minimums. Yeah, they have minimums. <laughs> and they have a, an order of operations. You have to select this first, and then you have to produce these documents next, right? So there's a lot of steps. How'd I do, Doc? Are we vague enough? Or are we totally lost? <laughs> no, no, that's great. No, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have to, it's a little bit of dodging landmines in order to even answer that question. So I, I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> but, well, I'll, I'll add though that a lot of people ask, particularly collectors, because when I have my game, Fragrant Story, is on the eShop for $4. Like, I'm not bashful about this. this is a silly, tiny game. It's just my first foray. So the, the cartridge is just kind of a novelty. It's like a collector thing. If you want it, it's a cool thing I wanted to do. So that audience being mostly collectors, a lot of them wanted to know how many are there. Because if there's a million of them, I don't want to hang on to it and expect it to appreciate in value. But if there's mm. only a hundred of them, then I want it now. <laughs> so to, to those people, I try to say it's comparable to the short runs that you've seen from other companies. There's a couple of short runs for 3DS that have happened later in the console's life. And mine was very similar to that. So I suppose that that that's actually a, a beautiful segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you then, which is oh, great bonus points for me. Then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you're doing a better job at it than Chris usually does. So, you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> and I try. You do. You do. Will just makes it, it makes it seem effortless. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to tell know, you. Right. But, but so you did mention that you didn't want to be the developer to release the last physical game for the 3DS. Like, so, so you seemed very adamant about that. I'm curious why you wanted to avoid that distinction. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So going back a minute to like, where did I get my audience? I started out with playtesting from like fans of the music I was making. And that sort of grew a bit uh, as word got out uh, about six engine, that user base grew a bit. But with this latest push with Fragrance Story, it's a totally new ballgame. It's just, it's on a new scale. It's a user base of 3DS, which is like 75 million or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of that is the US, 30, 40, maybe more than half of that is US, but it's a huge millions of users in that user base. And to, to all of them, I'm totally unknown. I, maybe I've been screwing around with this stuff for like 10 years, but they don't know who I am. I came out of nowhere. Having such a large user base that's never heard of me means I'm stepping into a new market. It's not just the audience that I don't know. It's the players, the game makers that I don't. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to make claims that are going to hurt someone or hurt me later. Plus, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to push sales based on a gimmick or something like that. 
So I don't want to screw up anyone else's marketing. I don't want to make any enemies before I've even arrived in this new market. <laughs> I actually wanted to release the game in February, but because I'm bad at filling out paperwork <laughs> and I'm a total noob at publishing and working with Nintendo, I just I suffered a lot of delays because of that, my own incompetence in publishing, uh, among other mm. things. So yeah, it, I, I just ended up being later. I didn't want to be. Okay. Yeah, I can completely understand that. And I mean, it doesn't seem like you're going to be because Limited Run is coming out with a couple of 3DS games that they've already announced. And of course, if they're announcing it, they're much like the Vita. There's probably going to be some behind the scene behind the scenes competition as to who's going to like release the last physical copy of the 3DS because well, bragging rights and whatever, you know, <laughs> so you've avoided that. So that's that's all right. But it's doubling back to a point you made earlier as while staying on that line of reasoning is that your releases through your website, uh, one of which, full disclosure, I have a copy of, uh, it seemed heavily influenced by modern trends in game collecting, uh, specifically with the you know strictly limited, limited run, you know, the more limited online sales. So with that being said, what's your thoughts overall on game collecting? Because you kind of sounded off on game collectors in a previous comment as well. Uh, I used to be more interested in it myself, but I got out of it. That's actually how I funded some of the early projects that I wanted to do uh, and try to be nonprofit and get everything cheap as I could. I had a small collection of games and I sold all that to fund some stuff. Like uh, one of my albums, I had a Super Nintendo style box. So I got out of collecting early on and doing some of those weird creative projects, but I still... Having been a collector at one time, um, I can still kind of appreciate what people might be into. <laughs> An example of, of how this connects to Fragrance Story is, since I was so late releasing this, they had stopped. They didn't have the capability to, to shrink wrap how they used to. Uh, there used to be like a folded seam around the 3DS case. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's new. It's sealed. But mine are all shrink wrapped. Like it looks like a, a DVD at a drugstore or something. <laughs> it looks like garbage. <laughs> and I, I know collectors don't like that because I don't like that. My collector brain <laughs> super does not like that. So I came up with a way to, I have a couple of stickers that I, I put on and I, I do final assembly to cut costs. I do all the final assembly on this. So Dang. I put stickers on as I'm doing final assembly so that you know this is the original seal. It's not a rewrap. It's not perfect, but it does help. Sure. So that's the kind of thing that I try to take with me and offer to collectors because it is, it's just a dumb, like it's a short $4 game uh, and it's on a cartridge because I'm a weirdo. And I'm, <laughs> I'm a nonprofit. I'm not beholden to some, this has to be profitable. So I can just do a crazy thing if I want to, or if it's a childhood dream. Uh, so here we are, but I don't want to just do it for the sake of doing it. I do want to keep in mind things like that. Cause I think people do appreciate, especially the percentage of people that seem to be collectors. Like I was saying, uh, so many of them are, are in that crowd. So I really wanted to do something cool for that. Well, having that personal touch is, is definitely very nice. Also yes. really explains some of your verbiage in some of our email back and forth, because at first you were just like, yeah, you know, I've just been really busy, like packing stuff in my head. I was just like, doesn't somebody else do that? Like, 
when you <laughs> when you produce games, doesn't <laughs> someone else pack that stuff? And nope, now I, I totally get it. It's just me. Yeah. yeah, what you would normally get with an old school 3DS release, it's that usually a white case. I think some of the third parties are or uh, first party is red cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, but you have that white mm-hmm. case um, that's about five inches by five inches, and there's a cart inside, and then it's shrink wrapped. In my case, since it comes with a CD, it's um, somebody compared it to the uh, Samus game, Samus Returns, mm. came with a soundtrack for 3DS. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has like that outer carton, but I could not afford to offer these things if done by someone else. So I had to do final assembly because I just couldn't afford not to. I have to say, because of your decision to put those stickers on there, like when I opened up my copy, I felt horrible opening it up I, I i i i kept the shrink wrap with the stickers on them i was like i i can't throw this away i i, I can't do it but i i want to open this up i want to play the game off the cartridge because that's just you know my lizard brain mentality is i i bought this game on a cartridge i'm going to play it on a cartridge and i was like this is this is wild i feel terrible i kept the shrink wrap it's in the it's in the box and it's like ah. Oh. That's why it has um, scratch and sniff too on the outer carton. Mm-hmm. If you want to pay to do that, who's even going to do that? That's going to be another <laughs> expensive step. Good point. That, again, needs to be profitable. But if I'm doing this with my, I, I, I've mentioned before that I like to bust out my leftover COVID gear, like uh, gloves and stuff, <laughs> so that I, you know, it's a sterile environment, very carefully controlled. It's tiny. This is, <laughs> I live in a tiny place. I, you know, I got to do these in small batches because um, I don't have a lot of space to work with. But yeah, bust out the COVID gear uh, and carefully manufacture these things to high standards. But that mm. gives me the chance to substitute a scratch and sniff top seal sticker instead of a regular clear unscented seal sticker at the top. That is just wild. <laughs> I think that's uh, kind of fun. <laughs> I take it. Was that inspired by Earthbound? It had to have been. Indirectly, it's not just okay. Earthbound did it. It's more like my game stinks too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does not stink. It's a it's a good game. Give yourself more credit. We'll get we'll get into that later. I'm, I'm proud of the work I did. Yeah. yeah, kind of deviating here before we go back more into development here. Just more of a personal question. You said you were a collector for a little bit uh, in terms of you know video games. You, you see what the hobby is going through right now. But what's your personal, I mean, if you have, I don't know how connected you are. I guess that's, this is what the question is. What's your thoughts on the overall state of the hobby of game collecting? Yeah, it's it's tough now because of the shift to digital, right? And you have, there's good and bad to places like Limited Run. It's cool what they're trying to do, but there's, the market is differently saturated. If you have like a, a shovelware title that's digital only, and then they strike a deal with limited run to make a thousand uh, physical units of this, whatever, this throwaway subway surfer, fruit ninja clone, something <laughs> that's 10 minutes of right. gameplay. But now it's on a cart and it's officially like it has that number from Nintendo. This is cart number 3005. And you have to have it if you're a completionist collector. So in that way, the landscape is so much different. Now that if if I was still into collecting, that would be a huge like wrench to me because mm. I, I don't want to exclude a title just because it's a Subway Surfer clone, but it's weird. It's weird now. So yeah, the shift to digital 
messes with my collector brain. I don't know. It, there's also the instruction manuals going away bugs me. Uh, so as a collector, <laughs> that's another thing that if I was still into collecting, I would be turned off by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss the, the beautiful instruction manuals that had like a little bit of a guide at the end or just a lot of artwork. You miss out on so much artwork when it's just the that glossy insert on the case itself and that's it. Yeah, I miss the days of instruction booklets. Uh, yeah, no, me too. I, I've said I've said this before, probably more than once. I think on the show, man, I, I feel like I got almost as much mileage out of some of the instruction manuals of some of the games that I played than the actual games themselves. Like, I, I still have my my big box instruction manuals for Diablo and Diablo Two, and those like the now granted they're not true spines right they're just sort of like stapled together but you can tell that that diablo instruction manual has been read many times because that was like this was listen all right gather around children this was pre smartphone days where if you didn't have reading material when you went into the restroom you better hope that there was an air freshener can that you could read the ingredients of or you're going to be really bored (laughs) for quite a while well Mm -hmm. The Diablo instruction manual, among a few others, was my reading material growing up. I feel like that also says a lot about me, but I digress. But point is, yeah, I totally missed those. There was a while where I was still buying physical games. I don't generally do that much anymore that I was still consistently disappointed whenever I'd open up like a jewel case or something like that. And it would just be that like little flappy, glossy insert and nothing else. It was like that one moment of just like, oh, I was really hoping for something else here. I think we all miss that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what else that, uh, that reminds me. I remember the Diablo one booklet. It's a big boy. It's like, it a, is, <laughs> mm. but it's black and white. And that was the mm. step that came before just getting rid of them. Uh, I remember being disappointed. I would rent a game as a kid. Uh, and as you get into, um, I guess fifth generation or like PlayStation Saturn, they were black and white. Yep. And that was a bummer because super Nintendo was usually Full color color, baby. Yeah. Full color. So yeah, I, I was already uh, getting less interested in collecting by that. <laughs> Fair, but yeah, Diablo had a, a really cool booklet. There's so much lore in there too. It's just ah, yeah. you, you miss out on all that stuff, which I don't like because I don't know lore should be in the game. That's just me. <laughs> Supplemental material, Chris. Uh huh. Bonus content on a DVD. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. Not like Final Fantasy 15, where they make it. They made a DVD of supplemental com- oh, no. uh, content. Yeah, <laughs> I have some feelings about that. <laughs> it's so bad. I guess talking about Final Fantasy, I do have a question for you. Fragrant story. Playing through it, I saw a lot of heavy influence towards games that were directed or developed by Yasumi Matsuno or Quest. Uh, with that being said, how was it like to work with Hitoshi Sakimoto, Masaharu Iwata, uh, Nicole Fantel, and Gideon Emery? Of course, they're famous for contributing to Ivalice, uh, specifically all of them together in Final Fantasy XII. Okay, it was really cool. <laughs> and little kid geek me and imposter syndrome uh, stricken me was like, this isn't real. They're not. They're going to find out. They're going to figure out that I'm just some bum and they're going to know about. <laughs> um, but they didn't. They they stuck with me and blessed them. <laughs> they were so great to work with. And just the quality that they delivered was uh, just what you would expect and hope for as a geeky little kid. 
done. I don't work with them. Um, it took a long time because I'm, again, I'm not really in the industry. I was just kind of screwing around seeing what I can do. And I'm coming at it as a, either a musician or a web developer. Um, so I don't have any connections. And I just had to poke around, get in touch with this person who can lead me to that person. And uh, eventually I'm, I'm able to make something happen. But even when I'm talking to the right people, it took time because some of this was happening during COVID and everybody was screwed up. Timing was screwed up, uh, money, health, everyone, everything was screwed up. So while we're scheduling and <laughs> working all this out, uh, it's just, it was, it took a long time, but they were so good to work with. And it's still surreal to me. I still get imposter syndrome pangs just from that. <laughs> but I also wanted to speak to Ivalice, Ivalice, Ivalice? For a yes, second, because whatever. <laughs> all, all of the above. Those games, I didn't really play them super much. Like, I didn't play them to the same foaming at the mouse degree that I played Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger. Um, but there's something about teams that worked on those. They, they arrived at this, like, experience. The sum of all those parts is so well presented. Like, Vagrant Story, Final Fantasy XII... There's some cool mechanics to it, but I'm not like dying to play those at any given moment. Mm. It's just what stuck with me was the presentation of it. And I wanted to get to that level. I don't think <laughs> Fragrant Story gets to that level, but uh, I'm taking steps, hopefully in the right direction, like with snappy gameplay. Just like I want it to feel polished, I guess, is what I'm saying. A really quick follow up to that. You have said that video game development has has really been a mechanism to kind of drive your music development. It sounds like you're a musician first and a video game developer second. Uh, with that being the case, I can understand the voice acting for Nicole Fantel and Gideon Emery, but because I don't know if Hitoshi Sakamoto and uh, Masahiro Iwata wrote all the tracks for Fragrant Story, but did or if you wrote some yourself, why would you target the, the musicians for that? Was it more of an homage uh, out of, you know, of respect or was it just something else? Yeah. So it, this whole world of fragrance story um, started as a nod to Sakimoto because he was so influential to me as a composer. And I've probably listened to his music more over the years than uh, Uematsu's. Mm. It just, I guess for easy listening of getting work done, that's what I tended to listen to on loop. A lot of tactics ogre or, Final Fantasy Twelve, And on top of that, he was someone whose style I struggled to dip into or emulate. I felt like I could always kind of channel a little bit of Uematsu or uh, Mitsuda, like Final Fantasy Chrono Trigger, but I could never really capture that, the musical feeling of Final Fantasy Tactics or Sakimoto's other stuff. So to work with him and kind of make this world as a tribute to him it also helped me expand my my ability to write music uh, i'd never really written music in that style before and i feel like i i finally was able to do it when i was working with him so it was really cool nice that's fascinating yeah that's amazing because i love sakamoto too i love how he he changes up a lot of his key signatures and i forgot i, I used to be into music but no i'm not what's it what's a when you change the time time signatures like you, you hear a lot of him going from like a four, four to maybe a six, eight, especially in, in Final Fantasy Tactics. 
And that's no exception to a lot of the other music that that he does. And whether it be Radiant Silver Gun, you know, Final Fantasy Twelve, uh, a lot of the other Ivelisse efforts, he's he's a fantastic composer. And when you said like when you're getting work done, and you're just trying to have some background noise. That's also very good. Uh, he is he is a very phenomenal composer. So I definitely feel where you're coming from there. Uh, definitely one of my favorites as well. Um, I did want to add though. Uh, so it's not actually Iwata, uh, although he did he worked with Sakimoto um, quite a bit over the years. Mm-hmm. This is Sakimoto working with Kudo Yoshimi Kudo. Oh no, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Uh, he's from the Base Escape team. So Sakimoto, it's it's been a number of years now. Years back, around the time that Final Fantasy XII was in development, I think Sakimoto came up with this idea of having like a stable of composers that he can work with. Mm-hmm. So he made Base Escape, and a number of People have joined and left since then. I, I want to say Iwata was contributing to some of that in the beginning. Yeah, so Kudo has been there, I think, since the beginning. Uh, if not, then he's he's been there a very long time. And Kudo is, is right around my age, and he, he loves Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics. So when I got to talking to them about doing some of this music with, with them, with Bass Escape, Sakimoto, Kudo, it was Kudo in particular that showed an interest. He's like, listen, I want to take the lead on this. I want to work with you guys and contribute some music. And so it was, it was so cool that this guy I don't know very well, uh, but who's worked with Sakimoto could be a part of it and, and bring that kind of enthusiasm. Yeah, that was unexpected and thrilling for me. Yeah, I was going to say it must have been really difficult not to just completely geek out and fall all over yourself in the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time I talk to one of the guest people, that I've worked with, I have to like draft something in my head or uh, in the email box and then like uh, erase it maybe three times over. And then mm-hmm. I'll probably be on a level handed, level headed message. <laughs> Just <laughs> calm down. Okay. Try again. <laughs> calm down more. <laughs> now we're okay. Now we're okay. Oh, that's great. All right. So William, we are, we're, we're actually getting close to the end of, of the grill of the interrogation. You've done a fantastic job, but I am curious <laughs> What is what is on the horizon for Squire Games going forward? Are there any future projects in the pipeline that you'd like to share with folks or what's 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 going on? Oh yeah, definitely. So, we'll start with Fragrant Story, especially given the unexpected response to it. Mm-hmm. I I thought I thought that a few people would be interested. I didn't think that I would sell out of the stupid cartridges. <laughs> in like two months and that i would just be working double full time for two months straight so i want to do an update for it i want to add missions and i'm still kind of working with nintendo on what's possible for that but i there enough people have shown interest that if they will still let me if it's not too late i want to add content to fragrant story nice that's next that's the hottest item on the list but after that i want to go back to what i originally was going to start with which is odosan this mm. fragrant story was uh, like a spinoff of this Odasan, this Earthbound-like game that I'm making. Fragrant story is supposed to be just a mini game in Odasan. Uh, so now that I've bastardized fragrant story and <laughs> checked the checkbox <laughs> of become a publisher, I can go back to the original plan, which is make Odasan. So that's next. After I give people a thank you update of holy crap, I need to make more content for you beautiful people. Okay. After that, it's back to Odasan. And then in the distant future, there's a, a game called Cosmo Break that's designed to be close to Chrono Trigger, but it's its own thing. 
Uh, and I can't really say much about that other than I'm really excited and it's hard to shut up about it. <laughs> but I have a number of amazingly talented guests that I'm so excited to be working with them. And it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be so cool. But yeah, Fragrance Story Update and then Otisan, uh, which it's going to have to be on the Switch in all likelihood. It's not on the 3DS anymore. But yeah, and then in the distant future, Cosmo Break. Well, I'm I'm sure that I, I speak for both of us when I say that I am eagerly looking forward to to what you're doing next. Because I mean, if if you could pull off what you did with Fragrance Story, your your self proclaimed dumb little game, then <laughs> I am I am definitely eagerly awaiting a a much meatier release for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Definitely. Uh, echo everything Shane said right there. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. Does this, does this conclude? I think this concludes the, the interview here. I think so. Hey, Will, thank you so much for, for making some time and stopping by and having a chat with us. I, I don't think uh, I don't think I could ask for more, man. You, you asked like so many questions in terms of just being a self-publisher and what it's like to be a smaller developer. And thank you so much for, for being here today. I really appreciate it. All right. So, Will, you kind of already started touching on kind of what Squire Games is doing. But for the folks that might already not know how to find you and find these things that you've been working on, how can they go and start taking a look at a lot of this uh, fine work that you've been doing and uh, your your upcoming content? Sure. So you can look me up either by my name, William Cage, or you can look up any of the games, Fragrance Story, Otisan, Cosmo Break. There's not much there. Um, but all of the games and Squire Games itself are connected at the top of the site. So if you search for any of those, um, you'll find me and you can you can access all the projects from any of those places. I have a presence on most platforms. I'm just not very active. Um, I try to focus on development instead of like the hype game because um, I'm bad at it anyway. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm on most platforms. You can find me, um, William Cage, uh, or you can search for Squire Games or any other games and you'll you'll be able to get to everything from any of them fantastic and fragrance story is available digitally on 3ds for four united states american ducats so you have no excuse to not go well, and check it out they have a month and a half left to add they, funds they and do. go buy it on the 3ds now if the, by the time you're listening to this because when, when this come out like july actually a month you have about a month to go add funds so get on it somehow and go get it that's right Get those, get those Nintendo gift cards ready. Go get them now. I'm so sorry that I've made it so hard to buy, but thanks <laughs> for I, trying. I, say, I, don't, I don't think that one's on you. <laughs> uh, I, I know you have an agreement, but we don't. So <laughs> Nintendo, this is your fault. Yeah, there you go. Come after us. We, we, we don't have a dog in this fight. Uh, but at any rate, as far as we are concerned, if you are listening to this and that means you have already found us. So hello and welcome. We're glad that you are here. If you would like to engage with the show uh, beyond just letting it sort of massage your brain, then you can do that. And not only that, but we make it easy. All you have to do is head over to Linktree slash Retro Hangover. It's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Retro Hangover and choose the 
the button that suits you best, you'll be whisked off to something RHP related, whether that happens to be our, our socials or maybe the YouTube channel where we post Twitch VODs and video versions of these episodes, or you'd like to support the show in a more monetary sort of fashion. If you're a crazy person and want to do that, I'm not going to stop you. You can just head there, go to Patreon, go to the merch store, pick yourself up a cool Gorpcore shirt if you'd like, and join the the Dick Dragon Army. <laughs> Tell all your friends and your parents about that one. You're you're embracing it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's you know it's it's taken what how many years now? Seven. Seven oh, years. Oh, no, no, four. Four years when. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's 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 slowly growing on me. I guess I'm just accepting my fate is really what it is. Embrace the Dick That's Dragon. <laughs> That's right. Or. You could come and hang out with us on Twitch, which Chris is going to tell you a little bit more about. So if you head over to twitch.tv slash retro hangover, you can follow us because we stream every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time uh, where we play games. Probably Lunar still. I did wrap up Lunar Eternal Blue, but Lunar the Silver Star Story is now going to be just on the beginning. that Shane is doing it. I don't know what I'm going to be playing yet. I have some ideas, but head over there at twitch.tv slash retro hangover. I'm also streaming periodically for the four job Fiesta. My party composition is trash. So you get to see me rage and throw my controllers and get angry. So if that interests you just head over there, hopefully I'm still playing it by the time you listen to this. I think it will be, but head over there, twitch.tv slash retro hangover, and we will see you there. And by the way, if you want to see more things capitalizing on our Patreon, we need just one more patron to guarantee that I get a capture card so I can play Wii U games for you because I hate myself and I love the Wii U back to you Shane all right well I suppose with all of that being said until next time play with your Nintendo let your 3DS shop stay open longer joysticks Shane here with a quick message You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part, no added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly slash rhpbones.